Blog Talk Radio. You want to replay the point? Okay. Mr. Vavrinka wants to replay the point. 15 on. Good evening and welcome to Replay the Point, a tennis podcast, so actually a live radio show that also you can listen to in the podcast form. I am Jared Pine and joined as always by Pete Zebron. Pete, how are you doing tonight? Yeah, doing well, Jared. Here we are smack dab in the middle of March Madness tennis style. Indian Wells wrapping up on Sunday and we dive literally right into Miami this uh, Monday. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very exciting time in tennis. And before we get started talking about it, I just want to do a little bit of housekeeping uh, for those who are listening to the show. This is obviously a new show and um, would would like to mention that if you want to call in the show, that is always a possibility. The call-in number is 215-383-3825. Of course, that is the advantage to listening to this show live. It is a live show. Uh, you can always call in. The other option is you can listen to it on replay. It is uh, on the iTunes podcast app, which most people have on their phones already, whether they realize it or not. Um, so you can do that to catch up on old, old episodes. Pete Zebron's on every episode, and he kind of has a rotation of different guests joining the show, sometimes myself, Jared Pine, other times Karen or Barry, all of us bring different perspectives. And so there's kind of three versions of this show, Replay the Point, and uh, you can listen to numerous episodes throughout the week. And, uh, yeah, this is the episode where we get to talk about some of the results on the ATP and some of the upcoming matches and nowhere else to start but Indian Wells. Roger Federer wins the title there, got through uh, a very difficult quarter of the draw. We talked about a couple weeks ago, whoever wins that quarter deserves their own little trophy. Roger Federer came through that quarter and went on to win the title. Uh, Pete, just give me some of your thoughts on on what happened for Roger Federer. What went well for him at Indian Wells? Well, uh, first off, Jared, uh, the the really destruction of Rafael Nadal, his longtime nemesis. A couple things jump out at me. He defeated Nadal in 68 minutes. Usually if we see a Nadal best-of-three match that lasts 68 minutes, he's on the winning edge of that, and usually there's a storm coming, so he wants to hustle off the court. Uh, to see Nadal lose a match in 68 minutes is is hard to fathom, actually, and uh, that's just a credit to how well Roger Federer was playing. Uh, you mentioned uh, I'm also on the show with Karen Helf. We did a show yesterday. Karen was on site at Indian Wells for 10 days, and I was asking her about that particular match, and she said Roger was just unreal, just clobbering the ball. He was so good on both wings. The backhand's really coming on strong for him. He's hitting the ball hard. And it's not that Rafa played poorly. Roger Federer was just all that. And so you mentioned uh, that quarter, uh, some people calling it the quarter of death, sort of like the group of death in World Cup soccer. I wouldn't go that far. I mean, that, that was an absolutely loaded quarter. You mentioned uh, whoever comes out of that should get their trophy, their own trophy. Unfortunately, you know, that quarterfinal, Jared, never took place with uh, Nick Kyrgios uh, 
taking out Novak Djokovic, but not able to per, play the uh, the quarterfinal against Federer and uh, food poisoning. So Federer advanced to the semis. But all credit to Roger Federer. I mean, the way he is seeing the ball, hitting the ball, um, we can talk a little bit more about Fed there. But uh, mm. Roger Federer continues his march from the Australian Open into Indian Wells, winning that for the fifth time. Quite remarkable at age 35 and a half. Yeah, absolutely, and I want to zero in a little bit on the final. Um, Roger Federer broke uh, four, on four of his five chances against Nadal, and then against Stan Wawrinka in the final, he broke on three of his five chances, but the stat that really jumped out to me was Roger Federer won 67% of points behind his second serve, Stan Wawrinka only 39%. That was really the big difference in that one, and Roger Federer wins the final 6-4, 7-5. Give me some of your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, Fed uh, hadn't been broken in the whole tournament, Jared, uh, up until the first game of the second set where Stan finally got him. And you thought uh, that possibly Stan, we know what Stan can do when he's rolling, perhaps he was able to get on that little roll and possibly even that match and take it to three was not to be. Roger was able to break back, uh, you know, fairly early on to get it back on serve in the second set and then obviously won. But uh, those those stat uh, serve stat points you mentioned are, are spot on. Stan did not play poorly, but uh, Roger really has the upper hand on Stan on hard courts. I think it's 20-3 to head-to-head overall. Stan getting the better of him, uh, as we remember in that Monte Carlo final a few years ago of the year. Stan won his first major at the Australian Open, but those numbers do not lie. Roger Federer is playing that well. And uh, I'll just throw a tangent out there again because uh, Mert Ertunga, who uh, you and I both uh, follow on Twitter, I've got the chance to know Mert through Cincinnati the last few years. He really kind of took offense to people saying it's all about Federer's racket change. And he he said something along the lines of, you know, are we just going to pretend that 2015 and 2016 didn't happen? Uh, this is the same racket Federer is using now as he did in 15 and 16. And again, I, I will just pile on to that, if you will. I completely agree. And I really feel that Ivan Lubacic is getting shortchanged in this whole manner of uh, helping Fed uh, because he, in my opinion, is A1 as far as what's going on in the outstanding results of Feder in 17. Absolutely. A great point on that. And um, looking a little bit at Stan Wawrinka's path, it, it was interesting to me. He, he barely got through his match against Yoshito Nishioka, wasn't serving well, found a way to win. And it seemed like maybe that took a little bit of pressure off of him because he then went on to make his run all the way to the final. We saw something similar last time he was playing in North America. Barely gets past Daniel Evans, uses that to go on and win the U.S. Open. Um, So what is it about this with Stan Wawrinka? I kind of think it has to do with he's putting a lot of pressure on himself, barely gets through a match and kind of realizes he's playing with house money and starts playing a lot better. Um, do you see anything to that, or wh- what do you attribute Stan Wawrinka's run to? I, I think uh, you, you nailed it right there, but also at the same point in time, something that you've mentioned and I've shared with other people because I really like the analogy, and it's spot on. The deeper gets that, that Stan gets into a tournament, the more dangerous he becomes. The time to get Stan is in the first or second or even third round. Uh, other than that, if you're not able to get him there and you meet him fourth round and on, Good luck. Stan is an explosive player, and when he's on and gets that momentum, look out. Uh, he did survive Nishioka barely, 
Jared, I did see Stan lose last year at Indy Wells to David Goffin. That, that was on court number two. Stan could not keep a ball on court, still almost won the match. I believe he had a match point as well. Goffin got all the way <coughs> excuse me, to the semifinals and duplicated that with a semifinal run to Miami as well. Um, last year compared to this year, uh, Nishioka, all due respect to him and his game, he's not Goffin. He's not top ten player, and uh, Stan was able to right the ship, uh, I guess, against anybody else, uh, you know, with a higher ranking, a little bit, a few more times around the block, Stan would have been out. Instead, he survives that, continues to play well, marches all the way to the final. Yeah, absolutely. And um, then moving on to the top part of the draw, Andy Murray with one of the surprises of the tournament, obviously a number of surprises that we could talk about, but Andy Murray loses to Vosik Pospisil. We talked a little bit about this last week, but I wanted to revisit it because after the tournament finished, the loss that Murray had looks even worse than it did then. He lost to Vosik Pospisil, who came in as a qualifier, barely got past Randy Liu, needed three sets to beat Randy Liu, and then goes and beats Andy Murray in two sets, and then loses in the next round to another qualifier. So this isn't like Vosik Pospisil came in on fire playing excellent tennis and then just takes out the world number one. He was kind of lucky to even be in that match and still couldn't get through Andy Murray. So I'm kind of curious to get what are your thoughts on the upset that Murray took with a couple weeks of hindsight on it now? Well, I mean, Andy Murray's not played well in 2017. Yes, he's got a uh, a 500 title under his belt, uh, but and he got to another final where Djokovic got him in the Middle East. Both his finals this year, Jared, have been in the Middle East. He won one, he lost one. But uh, this is a very disappointing 2017 for Andy Murray. That said, obviously the number two player in the world, Djokovic, isn't really faring much better this year either. So the, sort of the pressure's off him. But getting back to Andy Murray and what's not going well for him, you're right, this is a horrific loss to Pospisil, who really wasn't doing anything special coming in. Pospisil's lost to the likes of Michael Moe earlier this year, Jared. Uh, you know, another loss, uh, you know, in the 170s, 180s, uh, where he was residing before he, you know, put together a nice challenger run to the final in San Francisco. But I talked to Karen Helf on the show yesterday, and I asked her about Murray, and uh, she attended his presser and said he, he, he really looked dazed, like he couldn't believe that he actually lost the match. He wasn't really down on himself for, for losing because he played poorly. He certainly had his chances. He was just sort of stunned that he didn't actually win the match. And, again, we've talked about on on this show, the margins are very small, and all of a sudden we've got Murray losing to Pospisil. We've got Donskoy taking out Feder. We've got Istomin beating Djokovic. We've talked again and again, Jared, about the very slim and small margins here. And, now these guys, uh, you know, in the, in the hundreds now are, are beating the number one and two players in the world, the top ten players in the world. That's what it. That's what's going on, and uh, the margins are very small, and sometimes the ball bounces your way, and credit to Pospisil. And Karen also mentioned, and I've noticed this when I'm at Indian Wells, a, a throng of Canadians, a ton of Canadians reside in Palm Springs area uh, in the in, uh, they're snowbirds and so they they f- descend on Indian Wells and they support Milos Raonic and Jeannie Bouchard and Vasek Pospisil in this case and so she said there was a swell of support for Pospisil there it was really like a home match for him if you will that really lifted him encouraged him and sometimes as we see uh, that's all it takes to get a win even against the world number one 
Absolutely. A lot of great points there. Uh, interesting how much fan support the Canadians are able to get Indian Wells, which um, the couple times I've been there, really just impressed by how international the fan base is for Indian Wells, and it really makes for such an exciting tournament because of that. Um, but I want to turn our attention now to Jack Sock, the American that made the deepest run in, in the tournament, playing on his home soil, reaches the semifinal with most impressively wins over Grigor Dimitrov and Kanishi Kori. Um, I just want to get some of your thoughts on Jack Sock's run as the number 17 seed all the way to the semifinals where he eventually lost to Roger Federer 6-1, 7-6. Well, I'm a little more impressed with his win over Dimitrov uh, rather than Nishikori taking nothing away from Kay. But uh, we know uh, how well Dimitrov has played so far in 2017 for Sock to be able to uh, to win that match. That was uh, extremely, extremely impressive. I saw Sock play last year against Dominic Team Jared, uh, on court number two at Indian Wells, and Sock threw that match away. Team won a close first set. Sock won a close second set. Get this, Jack Sock broken four times in the third set and loses that 6-1. He was down 5-love, broke team to get on the scoreboard at 1-5, but then was broken yet again for a fourth time in the third set when he put himself in position. Obviously, that was last year. This is this year. Jack Sock, the top-ranked American with some very impressive wins here, as you mentioned, against Dimitrov, and then backing that up with a very impressive win over Kei Nishikori in the in the quarterfinals. That got him a semifinal date with Federer. The first set was pretty ugly in favor of Fed. Sock did play more competitively in the second set. But let's let's give a shout out to Jack Sock. I believe this is his third consecutive Masters one thousand quarterfinal result. Yeah, very impressive run for Jack Sock. Some great points there and, and P I just, I just want to zoom out a little bit and, and kind of get a bird's eye view of the ATP right now. Uh, We've talked about Murray and Djokovic both struggling. We're going to talk more in a bit about how neither of them are in Miami this week. Um, And those two right now are are by far and away the top two players in the world in terms of ranking points. Um, But if these two continue to play like this, there's going to be a big void at the top of the game and a battle for number one. And I'm not really sure who's going to get it. Obviously, Roger Federer's playing well, 35. So it's hard to imagine him going from number six in the world right now to then making a run for number one. Dan Wawrinka is also in the picture. He He's played well last week, but he's 31 years old. He's never at any point in his career had consistently good results, and that's what it takes to get to number one. So really hard to see Wawrinka getting there. Uh, we just mentioned Kane Nishikori lost to Jack Sock in the quarterfinals. Milos Rauch has had some injury issues. Uh, Nadal's also up there, but hard to see that especially the way he just got hammered by Roger Federer last week and then you know Dominic Team's also in the top 10 he's been complaining about fatigue already in the season we're only in March uh, Marin Chilich has had some up and down results this year early in the year he had some first round exits and Joe Wilfred Song is not playing in Miami that's our entire top 10 <laughs> so who's who's going to be the number one in six weeks it, I mean, Murray's there right now by default. Is he just going to stay there all this time, or or do you imagine there being a big shift in the top ten? Well, a couple things. I mean, we've got some serious points redistribution right now compared to last year at this time. Again, Federer winning the Australian Open, 
and, and again, Indian Wells, he's got a boatload of more points from, at this point in the year than he did last year. But you're right. I mean, I believe I saw Murray is number 10 in the uh, race to London. Djokovic, 18. Uh, those numbers will probably fall a little bit lower as other guys pick up points for playing Miami and, and these guys not playing Miami at all. So um, you mentioned, again, that the lead that Murray has on Djokovic, and Djokovic has really sort of on uh, the rest. Stan is creeping up here, though, and uh, – yeah, those guys are going to cement themselves, but you're right. I mean, if we, if we don't see results, and we're talking, <coughs> excuse me, titles at big tournaments, not just 500s, but uh, these 1,000s and even majors, it is going to be, it, it's almost like a 52-card pickup, Jared. We've got a deck of cards here that is the ATP Tour, and, and we just we throw it up in the air like confetti, and we're not really sure at this point uh, where it's going to land. It's almost It almost reminds me, of who's going to win Roland Garros before Rafael Nadal came along. It was, uh, you know, take your pick between any one of six or seven guys who may very well win Roland Garros. That, that, that's what possibly the, the race for number one might look like in the ATP Tour. Obviously, Federer has a, a, a good commanding lead right now, but as you mentioned, he's not going to necessarily play everything. Um, he's all of a sudden reevaluating his, his goals and his season. Uh, we had mentioned uh, he, we didn't expect him to play too much on the clay. Now all of a sudden he might uh, have fire in his belly and decide that uh, I'm, I'm just playing out of my mind right now. Let's just keep this going. And uh, all of a sudden my nemesis Nadal, I'm not really afraid of him anymore, even though the clay court season's coming up. So, Great point. Um, I, I'd like to see what Milos Raonic can do. I mean, for a big guy, he does have a good game on clay. I think that's very underrated in, in his uh, as, as he's looked at as a player. I'd like to see team make some moves as well. Uh, you mentioned his tongue is already on the ground. Mar- we're not even done with March, but um, I think uh, I think if he's I, he's not going to play Kitzbühel, Austria, which is, which is a good move in his home country. Granted that's later in the summer, but for him not to go home and play in that tournament, I think he's matured with respect to his scheduling. He's just got to do a little bit more of that. And I think uh, Dominic team could be one of the, uh, could be a top five player before the end of the year as well. Absolutely. Great point. I would really like to see Dominic team make that kind of a move. We've been talking about his talent for a long time particularly um, around about a year ago when he was in the semifinals of Roland Garros. Uh, just such an impressive run. Um, but looking overall at Indian Wells, um, obviously Donald Young made a nice run. Uh, Steve Johnson gave Roger Federer one of his t- toughest matches of the tournament. Anything else from the draw stick out at you that you'd like to comment on? Well, just another great uh, Masters 1000 at Indian Wells. A little bit of a surprise Right now, Federer gave his all of his fans uh, just an absolute thrill uh, in winning the tournament. And obviously, even when he didn't play Kyrgios, he stuck around the, the grounds and signed autographs, giving people a, a, a treasure, if you will, uh, getting a chance to meet their hero and legend uh, with an autograph to go with it. Uh, I'm, you know, coming to the venue and extremely disappointed you're not going to see Fed Kyrgios, but you walk away with a Federer autograph. That's uh, not a bad consolation prize, but um, any wealth continues to get better uh, as, as you and I both know, we've been there several times and uh, a, a fantastic venue. And one of the, one of the tournaments that the players look forward to the most. And um, I, I, again, despite the fact that uh, Djokovic and, and Murray didn't make deep runs, uh, it's still in a good place ATP wise mm-hmm. with respect to a 
Roger Federer making uh, the final and winning that against countryman Stan Varenka. And the fans also got uh, a treat, a real treat, a Federer-Nadal match. We don't get a chance to see those all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a great tournament, as you mentioned. And uh, on the flip side, we're going to look at the next tournament in Miami, which is going through a bit of a struggle right now. It, the tournament really isn't in a great place. Um, there was some talk about moving it from Key Biscayne. Uh, they've had several changes of sponsors in the last few years. And now what we're seeing is for the top players in the world not being there, no Djokovic, no Murray, no Sanga, and no Gasquet. That really hurts the tournament. And we've seen this before. The players vote with their schedule. And we saw this with Paris. The, the players didn't like that Paris-Bercy was played right before the World Tour Finals. And they you know, didn't have an official boycott of the event. But a number of the players in 2012 skipped. And we had a final of, I believe it was David Ferrer and Jerzy Janovic. And the fans weren't into it, and that really hurt the tournament. So the ATP response said, okay, if the players don't like this, we're going to change it. We're going to put a week break in between so that this becomes more suitable to the players' schedules. Now I wonder if maybe there's something similar going on with Miami where we started to see Federer skip this event a few years ago, and now this year Djokovic and Murray skipping the event. I believe Nadal missed it last year as well. Um, so this tournament's kind of taken a hit with the top players skipping it. And now the question is, what kind of changes could the ATP make? And obviously the idea of playing it on clay is being tossed around. I, yeah, it, it, uh, you're looking at it where it sits in the schedule. Uh, obviously, we start the year in Australia on the hard courts. we got the Australian Open. Uh, we do have the Latin America swing on clay. But as, as we know, some of those tournaments in, in Mexico, South America, on are on hard courts now. So uh, go right in Indian Wells, which obviously is a, is a player favorite, a fan favorite tournament. But all of a sudden, Indian Wells ends, Jared, and, and it's almost like, yes, we've got another 1,000 in Miami, but at the same point in time, all of a sudden, everybody's looking ahead to the clay court season. Monte Carlo is going to be right around the corner. Uh, even the U.S. clay court championship is is coming up in April. And then, obviously, the road to Roland Garros. we got three Masters 1000s on clay. Uh, Andy Murray, I think, you know, has is, is proven he's he's a very good clay court player. A lot of people don't think that and buy that, but he certainly is. And uh, he's he's one of the guys who's taking Miami off, uh, citing an elbow injury. Novak Djokovic, as you mentioned, the same way. And, um, yeah, I wouldn't be entirely opposed if, if Miami does switch over to clay. Uh, that would then give us four Masters 1000s on clay, which might be a little bit top-heavy. But, again, this is the so-called Grand Slam of Latin America. Uh, most uh, Again, you look at the wild cards, and they're made up of a lot of South American players as well it should be since they don't exactly have a tournament in their backyard, the magnitude of Masters 1000, but getting back to it, looking at it, no Novak Djokovic, Murray, Song of Gasquet as you mentioned, Stan Varenka the number one seed, well deserved and Kanish Corey number two Jared, this is a draw that has Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal in it, and uh, neither are the top two seeds. We know that they've sort of had their issues last couple of years or so. But, um, yeah, Miami, I, I think the fact that you're looking at Stan as a number one seed, that's sort of – no disrespect to Stan, but that's really all anybody needs to know about Miami 2017. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and it really is interesting with Murray skipping the event because this is the place where he practices in the off season. Mm-hmm. Um obviously there there are a lot of factors coming into this for Andy Murray and um you know, he has his own reasons for the decision that aren't necessarily going to be made public completely. Um but the idea of switching to clay is very interesting because you have the event in Rio right before Indian Wells and then you have the event in Monte Carlo right after Miami and if so if Miami switches to clay I could see a lot of players saying okay I'm just gonna go straight from Rio to Miami to Monte Carlo and skip over Indian Wells so I think there is a little bit of that danger of switch if you switch Miami to clay that's going to hurt Indian Wells and and the kind of players that can draw and I think that the ATP tried to solve this issue uh, a few years back I forget exactly when it was but they switched Monte Carlo over to a non-mandatory 1000 and what that did was kind of diminished the importance of it so that there wasn't this big rush to make the transition from hard courts to clay courts right from March to April. However, what ends up happening is the the distinction between mandatory and non-mandatory for a 1,000 doesn't affect the top players that much. And when you're talking about having a big field, all that really matters are about the top 10 players. Um, after that, you know, obviously Del Potro is a big fan draw, so is Kyrgios. Um, but for ticket sellers, the most important ones are always going to be Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, and Murray. And they're going to show up at a 1,000, whether it's mandatory or not. That That is no bearing on their decision. Very true, absolutely. And I liked your point about uh, if, if the ATP, if Miami did go to clay, uh, could could do some collateral damage to Indian Wells, so we probably won't see that. Uh, they'll probably stay with tradition. And uh, Miami's just, you know, it wasn't so long ago, Jared, where Miami was blowing their horn quite loudly as as being the fifth slam. Then, uh, you know, Indian Wells just peaked in terms of popularity. A guy named Larry Ellison came along, pumped a lot of money into it, and all of a sudden, you know, Indian Wells has left Miami in the dust, if you will, with respect to uh, – but the preference for most of the players and the fans, for that matter, and so, yep, it's still a it's still a prestigious tournament. Being a 1,000, a lot of history there. But again, players are looking at their schedule, looking to uh, what what how to maximize uh, their shelf life in a long season. And um, you mentioned again, not necessarily it's, it's, it is mandatory, but really not so much. And and players have discovered that loophole, and they're uh, scheduling accordingly. Yeah, and with that, I'd like to dig into this Miami draw a little bit. You already mentioned the top two seeds, Stan Wawrinka and Kei Nishikori. And uh, one of the most interesting things for me whenever we get to the Miami draw is look at where the wild cards go because this is the one tournament where they're not necessarily going to give all the wild cards to players from the home country. So I'm just going to run down the wild card list. Thomas Bellucci, who's going to have a huge fan base there because he's from Brazil. We have Casper Ruud, who we talked about extensively in last week's show where we featured the top 20 under 20. Michael Emer, the younger brother of – oh, boy, I'm blanking on the older, bro- older brother's name. Elias. Do you know it, Pete? Elias. Elias Emer, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. And so he's from Sweden. He'll be at the tournament. He actually just missed 20. He had been on it in previous years. Um, but now this time around, Andre Rublev, another player that we featured on last week's episode – um, he's from Russia. Then we also have the American Michael Moe, who received a wild card, also featured on last week's show. Tommy Haas, just a side note, received a protected ranking, so he'll be in the tournament as well after 
missing the tournament that he directs, Indian Wells. So that's our wild card uh, group. What are some of your thoughts on some of those players that are that are in it? What do you think of this group of wild cards? Well, first of all, it's absolutely refreshing um, and and fair, Jared. Uh, so many big tournaments uh, in the United States. Uh, three Masters 1000s, another one in North America and Canada. And, you know, if you're fortunate enough to hold a passport, uh, you know, an American passport or, or a French passport for that matter, where there's a boatload of tournaments, you're going to get wild cards. And so I am all for spreading it around a little bit, uh, giving players, uh, international players, an opportunity to get into the first round of a Masters 1000, in this case in Miami. I'm very excited for Casper Ruud. Uh, obviously, he is on the radar of quite a few people, including the tournament selection committee at Miami. So, uh, applause for that. And guys like Bellucci, as you mentioned, well deserved as well. This is Grand Slam of Latin America, so uh, South Americans should get their share here again. There is there is no Masters 1000 in, in South America, and uh, I, I do appreciate the fact that Miami is spreading it around. It's it's well deserved. Yeah, and I think this is really fitting for Miami, which is one of the centers of the tennis world, the whole state of Florida, really, where all the best players are coming in to train, and uh, they start coming in when, you know, they're like 10 years old. Um, If someone spots some talent and is willing to pay, uh, invest in a player and pay to send them to Florida, that's where they'll train, and a lot of professional players come from there, and IBM will sign them. I think IBM um, actually plays a part in deciding who some of these wild cards are so most of these guys that are getting wild cards are are players that grew up training in florida uh so really nice for them to be able to play and what's basically become their home even though you know they're not originally from the united states florida has become their second home and uh very exciting for those players to play there um but let's talk about one of those players i mentioned tommy haas in the draw he'll be playing the first round yuri vaselli in the second round, he'll get the number 19 seed, Albert Ramos, if he gets through that. Also looming that section of the draw, Jack Sock. So lots of good potential matches there. What are some of your expectations for Tommy Haas in this event? Well, I think he's going to take out Vaselli in the first round. Uh, Yuri Vaselli really has not played all that well recently, uh, really stretching into the end of last year. We, we do recall his monumental win against Djokovic. I believe that was last year that uh, – sent some shockwaves across the ATP Tour. But, again, uh, I don't think you were that all surprised, Jared. You've been very high on Vaselli for a long time, uh, given his lanky game and, and big serving and whatnot. Tommy Haas uh, was the beneficiary of the Nick Kyrgios food poisoning. He put out an exhibition that he is the tournament director at Indian Wells and uh, had a scrimmage, if you will, against Vasek Pospisil, who earlier in the week had taken out world number one, Andy Murray. And, hello, Tommy Haas takes out Vasek Pospisil. Yes, it was an XO, but at the same point in time, obviously Tommy Haas still has game, and um, I, I, I like Haas's chances here. That would be incredible if he plays Jack Sock in the third round, and uh, although I don't think he would win that match, I think it would be highly entertaining, and I'm even going to give him a set if we get to that point. Yeah, that absolutely would be a great match. I remember Haas a few years ago in Miami, I want to say this was 2013 where he took out Novak Djokovic in the round of 16, part of what was just such an amazing comeback. Obviously he was a former number two player in the world, um, but some people were making the argument that then in 2013, he was, and when he was the number two, uh, it was just such an amazing comeback. And obviously he's had more setbacks with injuries since then. 
Um, but what that's done is prolonged his career because he, he kind of feels that he hasn't had the, a fair opportunity to say goodbye to the sport of tennis, and he wants to go out on top. And so he's going to compete, help, continue competing while he's healthy to try to be able to go out the right way. And so uh, so good to see Tommy Haas still playing. Obviously, he's a fan favorite for a lot of people. But, uh, yeah, we'll we'll turn our attention now to another first-round matchup that is very interesting. Ryan Harrison playing against Fabio Fanini. Winner will get Jao Sousa in the second round. Uh, this is just such an interesting matchup for me. I think Fabio Fanini, a lot of times when he's on court, looks like he couldn't care less. Um, really just not does not seem interested in tennis. Ryan Harrison on the other side is the ultra-competitive guy. He gets criticized sometimes for being a little too competitive and not being a little bit more mellow on the court. Um, so really a huge contrast in styles uh, and just uh, the mental approach to the game. So I think this could be a very entertaining matchup. Yeah, I'm going to go with Fognini here. I, I just think that, uh, you know, almost like a – Stepanic, if you will. Some people just get just buy into that and get too wrapped up in what on what's going on on the other side of the net. And Harrison, as we know, yes, he's got a Memphis title under his belt. Played some good tennis in 2017, but when when it comes time to playing somebody like Fognini, you you really need to dial in. And I don't think Harrison's going to have that ability. And Fognini is, is just he escapes. Uh, you know, he, he lost a, a bagel set to I think Kravchuk. Uh, uh, you know, and 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 Indian Wells, and got through that match that he had no business winning. Got through that, beat Sanga then next, and it's like the guy's a true veteran. You know, I obviously knows how to get it done on the doubles court as well. I remember a couple of years ago, Jared, uh, you know, when he had Nadal's number and was beating Nadal in tournaments. Uh, uh, they played uh, and they played doubles at Indian Wells, and you know, Fognini was almost mocking, or not almost, he was mocking Nadal during the warm-ups. I mean, they were, you know, warming up for doubles and, you know, Fognini's hitting lasers right at Nadal in the warm-ups. I mean, that was just sort of like a, a, a blatant show of disrespect, but he had two uh, two consecutive victories over him at that point in time. They won that match too. And so that's who Fognini is. Uh, a lot of, some people don't like it. A lot of other people get a kick out of him and his antics, but uh, he can play some solid tennis. And I, I think he's just too talented for Ryan Harrison here. Yeah, you mentioned tennis, um, you mentioned some tennis antics, and then you mentioned uh, panic, which reminded me of uh, a great moment in tennis history when Fernando Gonzalez just smacked a ball and it hit uh, Roddick Stepanek right in the rear. I'm trying to remember if that was at Miami or was it It was either Miami or Indian Wells. Um, do, do you happen to remember that? I, I don't recall that, no, no, I don't. Okay. Anyways, point being, the, the crowd in Miami gets really involved into these into these matches, uh, particularly when uh, a Southern American or Latin American player is involved. Um, but with Fanini, that's that's already plenty for these fans to get involved. So I think that could be a very exciting match. And since it is in the first round, all the seeded players get first round buys. I imagine that'll be a night match on center court, which could be a lot of fun to see. Um, but another first-round match going on, you have uh, Florian Meyer. Always fun to watch him play. He's going to go up against Andre Rublev. Uh, just quickly give me some of your thoughts on that potential match or the, that first-round matchup. 
Well, I always smile when I see Florian Meyer in the draw. Obviously, this is a guy who uh, has had a lot of injuries in his career, and I will always, if I'm on the grounds, go see a Florian Meyer match, really, no matter who else is, is playing. is just so different uh, in his style and his ability to, to play, and he has sprung some major upsets, uh, you know, in the last 10 years of his career, beating guys, probably has no business beating, but very unorthodox style. He's really battled back from from injuries and uh, kind of almost like the Fognini-Harrison matchup, uh, not necessarily uh, the antics, but uh, too much experience for, for Florian Meyer. The veteran German is going to take out Rublev, who, again, you mentioned we featured in the 20 under 20 last week, but uh, too much game, too many laps around the block for Florian Meyer. If, if he's able, to, if he is healthy, he will get the job done. Yeah, absolutely, and we're going to look forward a few rounds. Potential third-round matchup for Juan Martin Del Potro and Roger Federer. Obviously, everyone. I mean, I don't think there's anyone in the world who does not want Juan Martin Del Potro to be seated just a little bit higher so that maybe this this matchup can wait until the semifinals. Um, But we're going to get it in the third round most likely, and it's a very exciting prospect. The rematch of the 2009 U.S. Open Finals, one of the great, major finals that we've had in the last few years. I think that's memorable for a lot of fans for uh, many different reasons. It's just a massive upset and a very high level of tennis. Yeah, and uh, Jared, you know, you've you've heard me say uh, on this show over the last couple of years, the the guy historically with the crummiest draws, usually right out of the gate, uh, is Philip Kohlschreiber. I'm going to now bequeath that honor to Juan Martin Del Potro, not necessarily in the first <laughs> match, but he, he gets Djokovic, Djokovic, and, and probably Federer here in, in three big tournaments right in a row. And, I mean, the guy can't win. I mean, obviously, you know, he, he's played Novak Djokovic very tough, taking him to three the last two times they play. And now he's playing... Federer, who's playing out of his mind at this point. I mean, Delpo, yes, you're you're right. I mean, I, I think the whole ATP tour will sigh, uh, will, will heave a, a relief, if you will, once Del Potro finally gets his seed up higher. But good lord, I mean, if he keeps running into these guys, he's uh, you know he's going to battle well, not necessarily maybe not get the win, but. Um, yeah, it, it's tough uh, for him, but at the same point in time, as as fans, um, how can we not like a third-round match between these two guys? Uh, it's a shame that one of them will exit the tournament at that stage if this does indeed match up. But, uh, yeah, Del Potro just has to wonder what in the heck is going on with uh, with where he ends up in draws at this point. Yep, absolutely. And uh going to ask for your prediction here in a second. I'll give mine first. I'm going to say the final will be contested between Kane Ishikori and Dominic Team. Kane Ishikori obviously has done well in the past at this tournament. It's been one of his more successful tournaments. Uh, actually, this whole time of the year, he's typically pretty successful. So I like Kane Ishikori's chance to get into the final. And then Dominic Team, um, we've seen the way he can just crack his forehand. I think with these courts being a little bit slower, but also high bounces, I think that works really well for his game. So I think Dominic Team has a good chance to make a run here. We saw him play well at Indian Wells. Now, obviously, he's, get, he's getting some time off between the two tournaments. Uh, it's, it's a pretty long break between Indian Wells and Miami, even though they are back-to-back. So I think Dominic Team actually getting more rest than he's used to is going to make him perform really well. So I'm picking Dominic Team and Kane Shikori in the final. Who, who do you got? 
<laughs> I'm going to go with, uh, as, I, as I wrote in the outline, Jared, uh, I'm going with Federer and Nadal, believe it or not. I mean, it, it's, you're, you're scratching your head here saying it's 2017, and uh, how in, uh, in the world can this be possible? We saw these guys square off in the Australian Open final. This time it might be a little easier to, to happen now that uh, Federer, excuse me, Djokovic, and Murray are not in the draw. I, I really think that uh, both guys have recognized that uh, two of their two of the biz, two of these obstacles, the number one and two players in the world, are not in the draw. Federer's got all kinds of confidence right now. He, he drummed Nadal at Indian Wells, um, although that was in the fourth round. If this matchup's going to take place, it's not going to be until the final. Fed's playing very well. It, it could be that uh, maybe he might run out of gas here, but uh, could even be exited by Del Potro here in the third round if they play. But Fed is just really enjoying the role that he is on right now. And something that Rafael Nadal said, uh, he basically committed himself to playing even better in Miami. Uh, I think he's a bit annoyed with, uh, again, having been to a couple finals already this year, Not uh, nothing to show for it in terms of <coughs> – Winning, again, running into a, a red-hot Federer in New Wells, but um, Nadal wouldn't have to see Fed until the final this time around, and um, I think Rafael Nadal is going to play with absolute steely determination and get to this final. Well, Pete, always a, a pleasure chatting tennis with you. Before we wrap up the show, any final thoughts? No, just a great time of the year as well. We talked a few weeks ago about anticipating this time of the year, Jared, and um, uh, really uh, look forward to, to tuning into Miami. And um, my uh, my sleeper in Miami, by the way, is none other than, than Nick Kyrgios. Um, I, I think he's really not happy with how his Indian Wells ended. Could be playing with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. So uh, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Kyrgios make some noise as well and uh, go deep. Yep, absolutely. And with that, that will do it. I am Jared Pine, joined by Pete Zebron. You can catch Pete Zebron on Twitter at Tennis Acumen. And my Twitter handle is at Jared Pine. And of course, we also have the podcast Twitter page, which is at RTP Pod. Um, you can also subscribe on Blog Talk Radio and on the iTunes podcast app so you never miss an episode. As I mentioned at the, the top of the show, there are three different versions of this. Um, for the WTA fans, Pete does a show with Karen. And also he does a show with Barry Buss, who does a great job at bringing kind of an inside look at tennis. That's a very exciting show that that I personally never miss. And then I I joined Pete for the third version of the show where we talk about the latest news and notes on the ATP like you just heard. Um, So this is uh, a show that's on several times throughout the week. Never miss an episode by subscribing on Blog Talk Radio or the podcast app. And also obviously catch the latest news uh, on Twitter from those three accounts they just mentioned. And with that, that'll wrap up this show of replay the point and we'll be back soon. Good night.